Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Um, well, here at the first of the year, um, we've kicked off a series called Focus, and because our hearts naturally want to refocus, we're like, you know what? There's some things that could have gone better. There's some things that could go different. There's some some life patterns in my own life I would like to see changed. And it's just a natural part of the first of the year. We just kind of do this. And so uh, we just want to be able to piggyback and to be a part of that as a church and just all of us do this together um, on purpose. And so in this series um, that we're just called Focus, uh, we want to focus on our focus because your focus is somewhere. Um, there's something that's priority. There is something that is driving your decision engine. And so there's, you're making decisions every day, little and small, and all of them have consequences. All of them have ramifications. Um, some of the small ones, their ramifications come in, in, in just them, the buildup the, as they accumulate. Um, little decisions begin to make big impacts. We can have life-changing decisions that alter the course of life that take place in a moment, but we're making decisions on a regular basis. And so with that, there's something driving that. There's something that is the catalyst in our decision-making process, and we want to kind of focus and say, hey, what, what is that? What is are the driving engine for us. And obviously we've gathered in a church setting. So all of us agree on some level um, that God should be playing a role in our lives. And we've gathered in a Christian church setting. So we believe that the God of the Bible, that Jesus should be playing some sort of role in our lives. And so as we've gathered on that common ground, we want to focus on our ability to focus on what God has for our lives. So go ahead, uh, connect with your, your, your app or your, the paper bulletin or however it is you're tracking along. And then we're going to lead off with this idea this morning that the focus of our thoughts, it creates the focus of our lives. Where your mind ends up going, that is what the focus of your life will be. A lot of times we can decide to have like this intense place of focus on something and then we look up and our mind naturally drifts. Wherever our mind is naturally drifting to, that is our anchor point. We can try to want and we want something else to be our anchor point. But wherever we naturally drift to, that's a, that reveals what our core anchor point is. And the truth is, is as much as we want to be able to, with our own sheer will, to uproot our anchor and to stick it into a new place, the truth is those kind of transformations of the heart and mind, that ground belongs to the Holy Spirit. We can try to renew ourselves, but the renewing of the mind takes place by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to invite the Holy Spirit to be able to come in here and to help us to, to transform. And so um, so with that, um, we need to take our thinking seriously. And the truth is, the way we even use it in, every, in our normal language, it reveals the fact that we even kind of have a double focus on even the way we think. Because we will use the idea of a thought to trivialize something. 
you know? Like you, you throw something out and, you know, you throw out an idea and, and somebody doesn't respond to it well and you immediately begin to trivialize it by saying, oh, it was, it was just a thought. So, okay, well, now that I've equated it, it's just a thought. Well, not, now it's not important. But we, so we'll use our thoughts and the fact that it's a thought to trivialize it, but then we'll also use the idea of a thought to emphasize. And so because we'll tell our loved one, I've been thinking about you all day. Well, if it's a trivial thing to have a thought, well, that, that, that wouldn't mean anything to our loved one. But we know that means everything to our loved one. All of a sudden, you just get the random text from your spouse that says, thinking about you, and boom, 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 man, your heart just pounds, and you're like, how, how wonderful that we're not together and you're I'm on your mind because we know that as much as we would like to trivialize our thoughts, oh, it was, it was just a thought, we know in our hearts that that's just not the truth, that our thinking, it matters, and it matters a ton. It drives our lives. And so with that, the scriptures reveal to us that this is a big deal to God as well. Remember, we're made in the image of God. We, as, as believers, we fully embrace that. What makes us different than the rest of creation is the fact that we're made in the image of God. And so, therefore, we should live on a different level than the rest of creation. Let's look at Matthew 22, verse 36. And um, a guy comes up and says to Jesus and says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Okay? Um, you know, that's a, that's a very human thing to do. Okay? Like, okay, I, there's a, you know, we were given this list of 10. You know, this is... The, the Old Testament has been around a long time by the time this conversation is happening. They know the Big Ten, plus the hundreds of others that God added through Leviticus and then all of the traditions of the elders and the fathers. There's hundreds and hundreds of commands. And so it's a very human thing to do. Go, okay, that's, that's more than I can focus on at one time. What is the most important thing, you know? You know, you might wake up on a Saturday morning with your spouse and say, okay, what do we want to do today? And there's like a hit list. Okay, well, what's the most important? What are you going to be kind of sad or frustrated if this doesn't happen? We're going to make sure that happens today. This teacher of the law, he's like having that conversation with Jesus. Okay, let's, we can't focus on everything. What do I need to focus on? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Now, going back to last week, remember we talked about the fact that there are places where we can begin to, to be tripped up by fine-sounding arguments. And the problem with fine-sounding arguments is they sound fine. And so with that, it can real easily be, Jesus had to delineate this for us. To love the Lord your God, okay, that could have been, we would have said if that was, that was the number one thing, then okay, that's it. That's the number one thing, love the Lord your God. Well, what does that, 
What does that look like? Well, a lot of fine-sounding arguments could come in there and try to define that. So Jesus brought it deeper. Love the Lord with all your heart. Well, a fine-sounding argument would be to say, oh, man, just love the Lord with all your heart. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to love the Lord with all your heart? Well, with all my, for us, it would be like all of our feelings and, and all of those things. Well, no, it goes deeper than that. To love the Lord with all, your, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, your thinking, your thinking process, your rationalization, your decision-making process needs to be involved in the loving God part. We see this in our human relationships. There are places that a real easy place for me to hurt Cutie's feelings is to me to make a decision and I didn't think about what she might think. I love her, but in that place, I may not have been loving her with my mind because I did not think about what she might think about, what might be important to her. And I didn't mean to hurt her feelings. I never quit loving her but I was not loving her in that moment with my mind. I was, not, I was thinking about what I wanted, what I thought was the best idea, not what she might think would be the best idea. I was not bringing my love for her into my thinking, choosing, decision-making process. That's the kind of love we're supposed to have with God. And a fine-sounding argument would be able to to move all of, remove these different pieces. And so here Jesus delineates it. What does loving God look like? Because we're gonna love God even with all of our mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And Proverbs, the book of wisdom, shows us why this is a big deal. Now here in Proverbs 23, verse seven, it's in the middle of a, of a, of a passage of scripture where these multiple scriptures go together and it's talking about a guy who's a who's a miser a, a guy who is just a tightwad okay and he says be careful when you sit down with somebody who's stingy and they set down a banquet in front of you okay a banquet is out of character for a stingy person okay a stingy person doesn't want to just give you all, all of these this wonderful things to eat and just have plenty. That's not what a stingy person wants to do. And so the book of wisdom, Proverbs tells us, be careful when you sit down to, with a stingy person and they put this banquet in front of you because the odds are they're being manipulative. They're doing this. They're still, they're trying to get something out. They're, they're, for them, this is a good trade. All of this lavishness is a good trade. It says, in verse seven, it says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart, his heart's not with you. Why? Because the way his thought processes work, there's something else driving this. He's, this is a stingy, ungenerous person. He's not all of a sudden being generous. There's something else driving this decision-making engine. And you need to be watchful and you need to be careful because the way he thinks in his heart, that's the way he is. That's why God wants to transform our hearts. And he's more concerned with our hearts than he even is with our external actions, not because our external actions don't matter, but because as soon as the seat of where those, those decisions are made, the external actions will change. 
God knows. You give me your heart and everything else will shift. You, just, you can play church on the outside all you want and your heart never change. But your heart, you give him your heart and, your, and everything on the inside eventually will change. Why? Because the way you think in your mind, it's going to drive all your decisions. It's the way it's done. Whenever I was a freshman here at uh, uh, ASU, which this is before the days, you know, that cell phones were a common thing, you know. Um, you know, back then, you know, it was a, you had a cell phone. It was mounted in your car, you know, and it, it looked like a phone, a regular phone, had a cord on the thing, goes down to the center thing, you know, and you're able to talk on it. It looks like you're talk, like part of the military or something. And so, and, um, but that, that was, that was, that was a, a uh, that was a cell phone back in the deal, so back in the day. And so I had a roommate that lived and was from Brownsville and his fiance still lived in Brownsville and he would go back to Brownsville every weekend from San Angelo. And this was before the speed limit went up, okay? So he's driving at best on divided highways, 65 miles an hour, a lot of it 55. And so he's making this journey all the time. He's doing tons of highway time. And um, so, and I remember him talking to me about, he had this fear. He was afraid that on one of his journeys, he was going to come upon a drunk driver. He was totally freaked out about it and had studied and, and had learned that if you're driving along and there's a drunk driver in your lane, what you need to do is you don't need to go to the empty lane. Don't go to the left and go to the empty lane and let them pass you the wrong way, um, you go to the right, you go to the mead, to the, to the ditch, you go to the, to the shoulder, because all of a sudden they may come to and figure out what's going on and their instinct is gonna go to the right. So if you try to go around them into their lane, well, you're just gonna have a head-on collision in their lane. And so, and he talked about this and he was, he was, he was, he was ready. He was ready for this, okay? So about two o'clock in the morning, um, phone rings there at the men's high rise. And, I, and um, my buddy's telling me he's about, uh, about two hours away from Angelo um, and that he's been in a wreck and he needs me to come get him. He's at, walked over to a convenience store. He's fine, but he's been in a wreck. And so I find out where he's at, get the old map instead of the Google Maps and having to go through, do it the old, I feel like, you know, Daniel Boone or something going out there, going into the deep west. And so, um, so I go out and finally connect with him early in the morning, find him there at that convenience store. And then we head back to Angelo and bringing him back. And he had not given me any details. He was on a, on a, put a quarter in a, in a payphone. So he's telling me about how this wreck happened. So he's saying that his, this wreck takes place and sure enough, he's driving along the highway and there's headlights in his lane. And he is sitting there and he is driving along, headlights in his lane, headlights in his lane and he keeps waiting for him to get out of his lane. And he said, you know, that all of a sudden the headlights were right there. He had to act and he just, turns to the right and boom, smashes into a car on the, on the shoulder. And come to find out that there was somebody who was, had their lights pointed at somebody who was a car that was out in the field to be able, they were working on this, on this car. 
And so the car was actually not in his lane at all. The car was off the shoulder. But his panic, he jumps over and smashes this car that he would have just gone straight past. So, but his mind was so made up that what the scenario looked like, he actually created the wreck he was afraid of happening. Now, he tells me this and tells me, you know, that there are people working in this car and on this car on the side of the road. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. And immediately, my mind jumps to what these people saw. And he tells me this story, and he just is so shaken up by it, and I am laughing like crazy. Sorry, I, I have a terrible thing of inappropriate laughter. And so my stress response is laughter. Um, it is not good for a marriage to have an intense conversation and your stress response be laughter. It is not good. And so, um, but that's the way I am. So I'm laughing and he's like, dude, you're a jerk. Why are you laughing at me for, for having this wreck? I was like, man, what did these people on the side of the road I was like, what did they witness that all of a sudden this car is just driving along and at the last second just boom, just pulls over and smashes their car. It's like, what did our car do to you? Why are you so angry at our car? And I just, just laughed all the way back. And he, he probably still hasn't forgiven me. And, uh, but the scenario was created. He had so played it out in his mind so many times before, as soon as something that remotely looked like it, all of a sudden his pre-done thought process begins to go into work and he creates the problem he was so afraid of being involved in. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. We need to be conscious and, and govern our thought process because all of life, the wellspring of life is coming out of the way we think. See, to love God completely and to live life fully, our thoughts need to be focused by the Spirit. Romans 8, 6 says this, the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The scriptures only lay out a couple of options. Controlled by the Spirit, or it's left back into our own devices of sinful man. We can either try to do this on our own and end up with creating death problems, death to relationships, death to opportunities, death to different things, sometimes actual physical death, or we can allow the Holy Spirit to begin to lead us and to guide us. There's not a middle ground. We tend to think that our mind can, controlled by sinful man is, is all of these terrible, nefarious plans, you know, and so and then, but, but controlled by the Spirit and somehow we walk in the middle most of the time. No, there's two options. We're either letting our, the Holy Spirit direct our thoughts or we are sitting there actively participating in different levels of death scenarios in our own lives. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the, of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now that sounds awesome. Weapons to demolish 
strongholds. That sounds like it's just coming against these big, massive, mean, ugly things that are trying to, trying to keep things trapped and held and, and some sort of demonic thing. It just, it just has this big, powerful imagery. What are these strongholds? What are being demolished? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. What are the weapons that we fight with? What are the strongholds that we have to tear down? The strongholds are those old thought patterns that we have built our current framework with. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to come in and to tear those things down. We build these strongholds because this person hurt me or this scenario didn't work out well or I did this on my own and this deal fell apart and we begin to build these things up to try to protect ourselves and we'll look up and we have built a spiritual prison for ourselves instead of living in the freedom that God has called us to live in. Romans Chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Our spiritual transformation, it takes place here in the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. So there's the pattern of this world, and then there's God's pattern. There's God's way of doing things. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to renew our minds and change the way we think. See, we have to choose to make God's truth the focus of what we think. The focus of what we think. Here's the problem. As we go back to the account of the garden, we go back to that moment. And instead of choosing to eat from the tree of life, we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That both things are here that this, the beautiful potential of God himself is we see it at work in, in our world, but we also see evil at work. And those two places of tension, those two dual realities are pulling at us all the time. James 1 gives us some, some wisdom in this. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. I'm so thankful for this, that if you need wisdom, you can go to God and he will give it to you without finding fault. Most of the time where we need wisdom is when we've dug ourselves into a hole. And a lot of times we know it. And it feels like we don't have the right to ask for wisdom because we did this to ourselves. When somebody else, when we feel like the, the victim of somebody else's misdeeds, we feel pretty good about going to God and asking God to intervene and do something and help us out. But when we are the one who dug ourselves into a hole, sometimes we have a hard time and we feel like maybe that God's gonna give us a lecture. God's gonna say, well, why didn't you do this? And why didn't you do that? And I remember when I prompted you to do this and I, and I told you to do that, you shouldn't have done those things. And and. And God doesn't do it that way. He doesn't, he doesn't browbeat us. He doesn't give us a lecture. He doesn't find fault. He gives us the wisdom we need. Why? Because God wants life for us and life more abundantly. 
But it says this, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed about by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is a double, is double-minded and unstable in what they do. Here's the problem. Here's where our double-mindedness comes in is we see that God is, is here and active and willing to give us life but we know the reality that death is a, is a real reality. And we go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Whereas what we need to do is say, what does God say about the situation? And focus in and trust him. That's how we stay single-minded. That's how we don't get caught in this place. Because sometimes we can get trapped in this moment uh, uh, and just be stuck in this place of indecision. This thing of not being double-minded as James is, is writing and James in particular writes to Jewish people. And so you see that if you look and see James's audience, Paul writes to a lot of Gentiles, a lot of people who weren't Jewish. But James writes to an audience that are Jewish believers. And so they very much, when he talks about not being double-minded, they very much would have a flashback to this story in 1 Kings 18. If you've been around the Bible for a while, you may know the guy named Elijah. He was a prophet. Um, and if you know about Elijah, you probably know about Elijah and the, he, him facing off at Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. And Baal was a false god um, that the um, uh, king of Israel, uh, Ahab, and his wife Jezebel um, decided that they were going to worship, that they're going to worship this false god and follow this instead of the one true god who established the nation of Israel. And so Elijah comes in to help be a voice, uh, a voice of the Lord and, and to bring some correction. And he's, Elijah's hated by Ahab and Jezebel. And so there's this tension that's going on. And in that, um, a, um, Elijah's finally like, okay, if Baal is so great, let's just go ahead and prove this. And he's like, let's just have, let's just have a face off here. Let's just go ahead and do this in front of everybody, okay? What we're gonna do is y'all pick a bull and sacrifice it, and then I'll pick a bull and sacrifice it, and we'll put it on an altar, and we won't do anything, and we'll pray to our God, and the God who answers by fire and, and consumes their bull by fire, that's the, that's the real God. We're just, gonna, we're just gonna handle this way. We're just gonna deal with this uh, once and for all. And in this moment here in, in, in 1 Kings um, Chapter 18, verse 21, it says, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long are you going to be double-minded? How long are you going to say, man, where's the one true God? Oh, we're, we're going to serve Baal over here. He's like, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. They said nothing. They didn't weigh in. They didn't choose. He challenged, just go ahead, make a decision and choose. And then go ahead, let's, 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 I'm gonna help you to begin to choose. And then we catch up in verse 26 and we have the, the prophets of Baal and, and they took the bull that was given to them and they prepared it and, and called upon the name of Baal from morning till noon. They're just going at it. They're doing their, their, their worship of Baal. They're just going at it and saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice 
and no one answered. Why? Because Baal's not real. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And I love this. This is part of the fun of reading the scriptures because um, you get to see that uh, a little bit of sarcasm sometimes is kind of okay. Being a little smarty pants, it's kind of all right. And here in verse 27, it says, at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, he's just sitting back, he's watching them do their thing, and he's like, cry louder, cry loud, for he is a God. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself. Maybe he hasn't showed up because he's on the toilet. He's been there a little minute. He's occupado. And so that's just hilarious to me. Or maybe he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and, and must be awakened. Maybe there's this reason your God's not done anything. Maybe he's taking a nap or he's on the john. I don't know, but yell a little louder. And so, uh, anyways, but nothing happens. Nothing takes place. And then in verse 36, it says, At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed. Remember, they prayed all morning. They prayed in through after the noon as he mocks them, and Elijah steps forward and he prays a two sentence prayer. Two-sentence prayer. Remember Jesus, when he tells us to pray, he says, don't, don't go out there praying that you're going to think you're going to be heard because of your many words. When you're praying, just be honest with God. Be real with God. You don't have to sit there and all of a sudden, I, you prayed for an hour, and then all of a sudden, how that's somehow better. Just be real. Just be honest. Maybe it takes you an hour to get everything off your chest. Maybe it takes you an hour to get through it. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But sometimes you say what needs to be said in genuine, real two sentences. It says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you're the God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you are Lord, our God, and you are turning their hearts back again. That's always been God's heart, is to see our hearts turn towards him. Because we begin to turn towards him and be able to put him in and make our decisions based on him, that's when things begin to change. And then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried. Remember, they had not made a decision. And finally, as they see, God is the one true God. Turning their hearts, they cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah's clear focus on the one true God, it helped the people of Israel embrace, re-embrace God as the one true God. You know what? The people of Israel, they, they had been back and forth multiple times. I don't know where you were at in your walk with God. I don't know where it's at. I don't know if you've been on again, off again relationship with God, but guess what? Just like God's heart for the on again, off again people of Israel, his heart was, turn your heart back towards me. That's all he wanted. 
If that's you this morning, that's still God's heart. Just turn your heart back towards him. You don't got to have to try to feel like you got to fix all of the previous broken relationship with God. Just start fresh. Just turn your heart back towards him. That's all he desires. See, focusing on the right thing, it helps to define everything. And here as we're wrapping up, I want to show you how this works in our lives. Remember, we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and, and we have an, a mental awareness of both. So now let's look at this seemingly fairly casual passage of Scripture as Paul is wrapping up his letter to his first letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians uh, 16, verse 5. And he's just talking about his travel plans, people. And this is spirit-breathed right here. It says, after I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter. Still feels a little like iffy, this is what I want to do, but, you know, maybe I'll spend the winter um, so that you can help me on my journey where, wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits Remember, factoring God into this space. Um, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. And here's what I wanted to get to. Because a great door of effective work has opened to me. And there are many who oppose me. A great door of effective work has opened to me. God is at work. There's something wonderful, but there's also another reality. There are many who oppose. So many times we can begin to think, man, if, if God's at work, why is there such opposition? I'm trying to be able, I feel like God's calling me into this space, but then there's opposition. Maybe I'm doing this wrong. No, I'm telling you, there's a lot of times that God's opportunities show up with the enemy's opposition. And we can't be double-minded. We've got to be single-focused. Paul was focused on that effective door open to him for effective ministry. He stayed focused on that. He was aware that there were many who oppose him, but he stayed focused on that open door of effective work. This shows up in our own lives, people. We can have all of a sudden feel like there's an, an effective door open of opportunity for my health, but there are many tacos who oppose me. We get it. We understand that. But the thing is, is if we focus on the tacos, all we're going to get is tacos. But if we focus on the life change God wants for our, for our health, then we'll begin to move towards that where the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives. There often will be a place of opposition. We'll see it. See it feel like there's an effective door of of. of, of of ministry open in the area of my finances, but my current spending patterns oppose me. God, why am I not seeing breakthrough? Well, there are the things that are opposing. I need to stay focused on what God's doing and not get distracted by these other things. There's effective work of ministry open in my marriage, but my selfishness opposes me. Stay focused on the other thing and that, that other piece will come into line. We are reading these scriptures because Paul stayed focused on the open door of effective work of ministry, not the many who opposed him. 
We see this taking place over and over. We can't be double-minded. Paul was able to stay focused on the open door, even though there were many who opposed. In anything God is calling you forward to in this moment, God is opening a door of effective work, but there's gonna be some stuff that opposes. So I want you to just pause right here and now. I want all of us to take a pause and just ask the Holy Spirit, or what are you wanting to do in my life? What's the effective door that's open before me? Immediately, as that comes to mind, that the stuff that's piling against it will pop in. It'll pop into your mind. But I want you to stay focused on what the Holy Spirit's just breathed. That effective door of ministry open. And choose to stay focused on that. Because our bottom line today is that a double focus is always out of focus. It's always out of focus. You cannot vacillate between the two and feel like you're actually going to arrive where you're supposed to go. God's opened some multiple effective doors of ministry for you in your own life, in your family's life, maybe in your work life. And there will be some opposition. But focus on what God has called you to do. And I'm telling you, he will carry you through. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.